All right, so today's opening is, I think, a question you're going to hold really near and dear to your heart. Okay. Where do you think Nick Zano stands on the Bon Jovi versus Bruce Springsteen debate? I'm going to fucking kick your ass in real life. Um, as as heir to the seven, seven kingdoms of New Jersey. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, uh... I I really I'm gonna have to go with Bruce just because he considers I he I think he thinks he's really smart and a distinguished liberal sometimes because sometimes he puts on his smart yes. man hat yeah he puts uh, on his smart man hat and glasses uh huh and guys like, okay so he probably he not only probably when he was first... giving speeches for Bernie Sanders <laughs> oh yeah if he gave speeches for Bernie he would uh-huh. here's the thing he's definitely a Bruce Springsteen guy. Uh-huh. But he does like, also look like his son's okay. first words were John Bon Jovi. Jesus. <laughs> but it was just, oh my god. I. We know how I, he feels about Billy Joel. Fuck! I'm still a little hurt by that immensely. And then like the whole fucking Tony Soprano bit that was his Cockney accent. Which was just him doing a Tony Soprano, which was just... It was awful. It was. It was. I was actually like tearing up a little. All right, with... Nick Zano, you're you're the one person on the cast we really want on this podcast. So yeah. let's go into the episode. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I don't mean that. I should. I should clarify. I don't ever mean this in a mean way. I think it is the funniest goddamn thing because he is so Italian. And in such a fond and relatable way to me that it's it it really in, it, it endears him to me immensely. It shouldn't, I'm but it just, does. I I got an ask recently that was just why would you make fun of Nick Zano for being Italian American? <laughs> I remember that because it's my fucking like, birthright. Because, <laughs> because I live it ish. Like I, I I like super hardcore. It actually turns out I'm less Italian American than Floriana Lima. Oh. Uh, is that and, the bar now? Well, no, I don't think so, because I'm still more Italian-American than someone who is, let's say, not at all Italian-American. I was, I was like, on the scale of, like, Mario to Tony Soprano, how exaggerated an Italian-American stereotype are you? Um, I think it's pretty... Yeah, that's fair. Okay, Jeez. so as we go into the episode, uh, I'm gonna, I have some grievances I'd like to air... Uh, some questions about the episode. Okay. Uh, number one, I think it's really funny that we find out this episode that Rip made the Time Bureau. Oh, yes, let me introduce the episode. Hi. This week's episode, uh, fifth episode of the third season, is called He's Not the Director of the Time Bureau, He's a Very Naughty Boy. And that's going to be funny to, I think, like four people, and one of them is going to be Arthur Darville. Yeah, that's fair. I will but he still say- it. I, I, I hope he does. I hope he does in whatever fucking indie music festival outside in the mud he is at right now it's with his keyboard right and now. his acoustic guitar and yeah. the sheep that I assume is his co-pilot. <laughs> uh, how how, how does music sheep, work? Like, how, does, how does indie music work in the UK? I, I don't know. I do. I feel like sheep must factor in relatively prominently. Yeah, that's, that's how I don't think, I don't think I'm out of left field saying that. Okay, so here's the thing. One, I love that Rip Hunter, as a person, made this organization and then said, no, I'm not going to be in charge, because if I'm not in charge, that means I can still run around and do my fucking swashbuckling thing. Oh, straight up. And I I do want to say this is why 
English people never solve their problems because their solutions are bad. Their solutions are horrible. Um, um, and then that leads me to my second grievance, which is, so in the episode, like, let me just sort of, we've all seen it. And if you haven't, you're fine. Um, he calls in a bunch of Time Bureau agents to help him in the big fight and they all die, whatever, who cares? The red shirts. Yeah. Um, but then the head guy and Ava and was Gary there or was it someone? I think it was Gary. I Gary or Gary too. Electric Boogaloo show up and they're like, thank you for telling us where Rip was. And I'm like, didn't he just call in a bunch of agents? Oh, God damn it. You're right. That doesn't, you know what? Fuck it. I don't even care. I don't I, even fucking care. And that bothered me. I think I, more I, than, that bothered I, me so much. I'm kind of angry with you for bringing it up because it was one of those things that with everything else going on, I hadn't noticed, but now I can't unsee it. And I'm just like, could you all suck less at your jobs for a grand total of five minutes? I'm literally begging you. But that's kind of putting the cart before the horse, relatively speaking. So I think let's start with the opening um, chronologically-ish. Uh, it's pretty yes. much all but been put in skywriting that Ray and Jax are going to be the new Firestorm, which is kind of boring to oh me. Oh right? my god, I hadn't even thought about it. You're absolutely correct. I kept, I thinking, say, I kept thinking they were going to throw baby Ronnie into the Fire Emblem baby dimension. Uh, I, I, I hate, I hate, I hate. Yes? I Go fuck yourself. Okay, okay. Um, I just that's want to make sure we're on the same page. And it's weird, and I don't want to talk about it. it. It's they had to try to figure out what well, we can't do. They came from the future twice in a row, so I guess we'll just throw them in the puberty orb. I don't. It. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's what's gonna happen to. Oh, yeah. So I Ronnie's gonna believe. Because like, here's the thing. I actually was thinking today about how like whenever Ray and Jax have bonded, I'm like, this is it. This is quality television. But also, I mean, I will say, as much as we give the show a hard time, they've been foreshadowing this for since the Billy Zane episode, because they had them as like the conjoined twins bit. So, which was that, just this is, you know what? This is one of the and watch it not actually watch Ray then not be the half of Firestorm. And then, and then watch, oh, watch them actually be really good at foreshadowing this. Be really smart about it. And then, and, and, then and then just oops, all berries. That as actually have there was this whole thing with the monarch's true identity in DC Comics, and someone correctly guessed that it was Hank Hall because they were like, "Oh, we don't know who he is," and somebody was like, "It's Hank Hall," and they were like, "Oh, fuck!" And they had to rewrite the whole thing. So it was yeah, somebody... they also did that with Hush, I think. Because yeah, he was supposed to be Jason, and then someone's like, is it fucking Jason? And DC was like, like uh, fuck. how fucking dare you? Oh my god, I just realized that's what the Venture Brothers is doing with the Blue Morpho thing. Yeah. It's a complete parody of that, because mm -hmm. nobody seems to know who he is, even though it's super, super obvious. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Um, but I See, do think... and, like, this is... The Venture Brothers is so much more clever than Legends of Tomorrow. It actually <laughs> physically fair. pains me to think about it. That's not fair. That's that's cheating. Um, that's 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 you can't you can't ask a fast toddler to outrace Usain Bolt. That's that's not fair. Um, my point is is like Ray and Jax are very clearly going to be the next firestorm in a way that's actually been relatively well set up but i'm mostly kind of disappointed in that because i'm like i 
I get. I can we not afford the Adam suit anymore? Can are you just trying to cram as you, many special effects? We can't as afford <laughs> both Firestorm and the Adam suit. Or they're yeah. gonna make a Firestorm that has an Adam suit design, and that's two birds, one stone. We Probably. spend a little extra to save extra on the long run. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe we're fucking balancing the budget for this show right now. I know. That's really I'm unfortunate. I'm literally like, okay, well, if we put a little money here right now in the future, like... It's, 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 it's just, I just think it's very... Bill, call me for my rates. I'm just not sure how I feel about it since it hasn't happened yet, but I am going to be kind of like... I almost wish it had been Nate and Jax, if only because Ray's power has its own set of versatility. But not that like Nate's power is bad, but it it's it's a very um, foundational kind of superpower. It, it's it's an it's invulnerability to bullets and a, um, a moderate form of super strength. So having a firestorm that is invulnerable to physical damage would have been pretty cool, but. Also, because Nate's costume is ugly as shit. Um, well, now we have a firestorm that can get real big or real small. Yeah, I sure. Um, I just wanna. I cannot stress enough how much we cannot afford a giant firestorm. No, we cannot Phil, do that. Look me in the eyes. I think we're we still. We're still. That. We're still feeling the budgetary crunch of the uh, giant fucking Ava versus um, fucking the cybertooth tiger. No, I the Ava 01 versus fucking Remiel or whatever. Um, we are going to eventually at some point in this fucking show get a giant alien that is literally just a cube that shoots lasers. And I want them to do it if someone does make the Neon Genesis Evangelion reference because then I will just, I will just probably explode. Um, like just I, self, like spontaneous. If, if Mallet, Mallet, Mollusk, Mallet, Mollusk, SpongeBob, Maddox, um, Bueller. Sephiroth 2, Electric <laughs> Boop. I made that joke already. I have to come up with other sequel names. You're going to have to give me a second. Uh, if he does not turn out to be just a block that shoots lasers. I do think he's going to be Zari. He's he's going to be doing, I hate to reference Fire Emblem again, but he's going to be doing the Fire Emblem thing where Zari's brother has been possessed by Mollusk's evil spirit and she's going to have to uh, probably... Well, it's going to be that thing where she's like, oh, he's still in there. We can save him. And everyone else is like, no, he's probably not in there. And, like, we just have well, to kill I'm him. Well, I'm thinking about what the uh, Amaya and Zari moments in that are going to be. Well, yeah, because I think it might be interesting because it might be what ended up happening last season finale with Amaya and Mick, um, which would be really interesting. But, uh, wow, this is really getting off topic. Sorry. But, um, I mean, it's all technically relevant. I mean, uh, like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is there I'm sorry. a topic of when we talk about Legends of Tomorrow? I don't know. I would like to talk about how angry I am that Rip referenced Vincent Price because he would have had so much. Yes, fun you know what? Let's go into what I think show. we've been delaying. I think it's good that we got all the other smart points out of the way, and I'll probably uh -huh. talk about Amaya and Zari a little later. But like, I think everybody knows what this episode is going to be, and that's just the Rip Sarah fucking power hour. I don't. I don't mean that. In the, I mean there are. I, there are other things I want to talk yes. about. First and foremost, this show is sometimes funny because it's ridiculous or yes. over the top. Or, but the sequence where they are interrogating the mortician as fake cops and Nick has his Tony Soprano voice going for Nate and someone's cell phone goes off 
and everyone that that meltdown of the situation in such an immediate and really funny way was like actually honest to god funny not like funny because it was it was hysterical like the timing of it was really great it was just well edited it was like just everyone's comedic timing was really on point and it was just a lot of fun in a yeah. way that, like, was genuinely entertaining, also, not oh, so bad. I don't, I don't know what the song Return of the Mac is. I don't know. No, neither do I. I only but know I, Mac the Knife. Yeah, I also kind of love, though, that they're just kind of letting Nate slash Nick make all these weird references to old people films. Because he did, like, a Weekend at Bernie's one, and they did yes. the whole Return of the Mac thing. If and then they the, had like, just Weekend at Bernie's, Damien Dark, who... You know, Neil McDonough, I've heard, is a great guy. I've heard he's very sweet. Mike Pence. I've heard heard he's a nice guy. I don't want to see his nipples for as long as I had to see his nipples this week. I I don't think he wants me to see his nipples for as long as I had to see his nipples this week. I think we're both coming into this situation with something (laughs) to apologize for. And so, Neil McDonough, I I accept your apology for showing me your nipples for that long. and not so putting one of those awful. little like daisy patches over them while you were floating uh, in the that psychic tank. Worse. That would have absolutely, I feel like, been worse if only because then it would have had to be that smooth, nippleless anime chest. And like, I don't want that. Um, I, I where were we? Here's the I, thing. It, I, I just, I'm so torn on how I as a person feel about nipples. I, this is, this is, <laughs> I didn't realize you had stringent opinions on no, this. Well, I'm a I little, feel like I'm as, a, little a, as a writer, there's no, good euphemism for nipples but it's also not a great word but they're also like important to sexual scenes and so you have this thing that is a horrible word for something that needs to be incorporated and you're just like oh you again yeah like it's definitely something i feel like i wish to god we could come up with a better word for it um because like also you can't say nips that ruins the scene (laughs) because it's just cheese nips but it's it's I and love also, cheese nips is like a is like a verb. It's like it's like to bite gently. Yes. But it, uh, topic, topic. Jesus, I didn't yeah. want to see him. I, Neil McDonough's shirtless is upsetting to me because this isn't like I don't like it. I don't. I don't. I don't like it. It was bad. Also, can we talk about how this, this episode was kind of a rehash of the whole Vandal Savage episode where Rip and Sarah did the fake undercover ballroom oh stuff? Oh my god! Because you're right. Because they failed in that too, and they still got to drink Carter's blood. Uh, like Incidentally, it's that I just realized uh, Sarah as a person should have just been like, that's gross. You're gross. They're like, why? Because we're drinking blood? She's like, no. Because fucking Carter's blood. Why would Disgusting. you? That's the worst kind. Like, you couldn't find just a Any random blood. You couldn't find an elderly person or a lost teenager. You had to pick the worst part. Like, what does drinking his blood do? Like, make you suddenly able to pound back three kegs? Ooh, spooky. And everybody's just staring at her. Uh-huh. But um, it is the sort of, uh, oh my goodness, I really have. This is this episode, I want to say something now mm-hmm. so that when I talk about other points later, you understand where I'm coming from. This episode was good. It this was episode very, was very well good. Written. This episode was well written. This mm-hmm. episode was tight. The pacing of it was pretty good. Yes. Um, the character writing is completely and 100% in character. Yes. I'm going to say this now, so when we talk about certain points later, you know that I think that everything that happened in this episode has existing character motivation 
and narrative arc justification. Yes. Moving on from that for now. Can I just um, also make the point? I am sorry that this episode was written by the same person who has done um, Left Behind and Turncoat, and so this episode was written by someone who has consistently shown excellent characterization and writing skills in the past for Legends, especially for Rip and Sarah and for Kendra in um, Left Behind. So this is a really sort of episode that was written by someone who I think really cares about the show. Yeah, which is which crazy. Which I think you can say about most of the writers that are not Mark Guggenheim. That's the other thing, too, is I think everyone is kind of genuinely enjoying the chance to play around with some lesser-known characters because it does give you a little more freedom than, say, writing Batman. Like, you're allowed to do more with the character that doesn't... Um, or, if you're not allowed to write Batman, you can just fucking ruin a Green Arrow show, I guess. I mean, yeah, that does seem to be the way that things go. But overall, um, overall, I do think that there is a lot of enthusiasm and fun being had on the show. It doesn't always work out the way we would like it to. But I don't often get the vibe that the people writing this show don't care about the characters on it. Um, I, I feel like I need to talk about how important it was to me that one of the antagonists of this episode was Victor Garber in a fake mustache. Victor uh, Garber, because I just, I, I always go back to him going, I'm overacting here, hold on. And then uh, they're just like, hey, do you want to play a villainous version of yourself with a mustache? And he's like, oh boy, <laughs> do I. I. I do feel like he actually, I, I feel like he must have had some input here because this does seem like the sort of thing where they're like, we know you're leaving for a little bit soon. Do you want to do anything fun before you go? And this sounds like the sort of request that someone would make. Um, I, I play me, but I'm evil, and you know I'm evil because I have a mustache. A, it's, a, like it's a snidely whiplash mustache. I love it. It's so over the top, but it is like, this episode was probably one of the straight-up campiest episodes in the whole series. I mean, For a series that I think yes. a lot of people are going to describe as campy, this was very much one of the campiest episodes. I, oh, and also the other, there was another little thing. Uh, Dominic Purcell played Dracula in the Blade franchise. And so that's why he's reading Dracula in all those scenes and why he's kind of like obsessed with vampires. I hate this. Because, I hate because this. he was a vampire. That's the I joke. I'm gonna get That's first the joke. I I think my favorite part of the whole reading bit was that he had these like dad reading glasses. Like I just associate them with men over forty who need to read something, um, so thoroughly, and it was really adorable. It was um, legitimately one of the cutest things I've ever seen. Yeah, because he's like really into it, and I just love that because I'm like, number one, Ray gave you that book. Two, Ray going to grab his hand while he's reading the book and. Mix slapping his hand away was again one of those funny little background Adam wave moments where I'm like okay we get it you love him and you're a Sundere enough we, we <laughs> like, get it Raymond you're gaming <laughs> it's so much though it was really cute um but this episode was definitely like fun and campy and then abruptly got kind of dark near the end but overall very fun and very silly. fun very good very good episode very fun um i am very disappointed there were not actual real vampires because there are actual yeah. real vampires in dc canon just like there's actual real magic and so i actually i made this post because um when eleanor says there's someone here who wants to speak to a deceased loved one the person the camera focuses on is mick 
And hey, why, don't you, why don't you go fuck yourself? Why don't, why yeah, don't, no. why don't you Well, here's the thing is yourself? Leonard Snart, known, uh, known Jewish person, like in Judaism, there is a lot of mysticism and like there is beliefs in demons and ghosts and stuff, but not coming from anyone that is non-Jewish. And so it's kind of like this thing where I'm like, if you're Jewish and you're a ghost, you're not going to show up for a non-Jewish psychic That's just to be petty. Because pettiness is one of the three tenets of um, Judaism behind um, always needing to change tables at restaurants and soup. Uh, that's really interesting to me. I did not know that that was a thing where you weren't, um, you know, going to manifest for a non-Jewish person. That's very, very interesting. Um, I mean, I don't even so think legends you. would think that far, but that's just sort of like one of those things, like how we talk about create your own content, make your own world within the world, like my own little thing that I thought about. While watching. Well, because it's something it's something that's relevant to what's going on. Like, you're not just... You, this is something that would yep. be relevant given that the character in question is Jewish and you understand the... that Like, that's really cool. I didn't know that. And then, like, that was very interesting because I think it's so interesting that they have emphasized that Zari is a Muslim and they've emphasized that, like, Stein is Jewish and these are both characters who have been seen to be disbelieving in magic even though they, like, deal with it all the time. And, like, I just wish sometimes, and this is not a Legends problem, this is a DC Comics problem, that in a world where magic is 100% real and usable, that they talked about the different religious impacts it has, but, like, they don't Mm -hmm. really have, I feel like, Jewish writers that are educated enough in Jewish mysticism. They have, like, no Muslim writers, so Mm -hmm. don't even want them to touch that with a 10-foot pole. But I wish we could see more of that. I think it's complicated because a lot of, I mean, I will admit a lot of the understanding of ghosts in popular culture comes from a Catholic and Christian concept. So even though there is a lot, and that's the thing, I want them to broaden that because there are other cultures with other concepts of the afterlife and how spirits would manifest. Um, I think the reason that they kind of have Zari uh, and Stein scoff at the idea of like mysticism is because they are writing mysticism that has a very specific Catholic bent to it. Um, which I, but again, they would have to acknowledge that that Stein being like, no, that's not the kind of like, that's, that's ridiculous. This is the kind, this is real magic because that would one be really funny. No ghostess. Well, that would just be really funny and interesting and engaging. I just don't think they, yeah have the ability to go through with it not in a negative way i just really it's not like oh they suck for this it's it's kind of i understand why it's a shortcoming but that means that people who understand jewish mysticism or muslim mysticism uh for example would be better qualified to offer different variations on the concept of seances and spirit mediums and that would be really neat um yeah, I, I, that's that's the, that's why you need diverse storytelling because there are there is more than one form of weird mysticism. Yep. Um, every religion has some form of magic in it somewhere. Um, but with that hey. in mind, I also thought it was really interesting to yeah. me that like this was a this was a an English party. Then they had they did make a note specifically this was an American medium they brought over because the. Victorians had a fascination hey, with... do you want to talk about costumes, or do you want to wait until... It's not worth it. Here's the number one thing. Corsets are underwear. 
They are undergarments. They are a form that they are basically a long bra with boning that goes all the way down to your hips. They are not something that you wear over your, they don't, you don't wear it as a shirt. You can wear it as part of an outfit. You can wear it as, you know, in more modern clothing that has corsetry on it. I know a lot of people will wear corsets as just a top because how we have come to recognize them and how they have become a part of fashion has changed. But Victorian corsets would have been the equivalent to a bra. So you would have, Sarah basically said women walking around in their bras, which it's yeah, a thing, yeah, that sounds, it's not, that sounds like it, something Sarah would enjoy. It would be, but I can't really see it happening with a relative level of frequency. And you know what? Fuck it. It's not even worth it. Um, All right, go back not... to Victorians and their weird. But there is like this weird, po- like they they just they loved death. They loved death. They loved mourning. They loved anything that was corpsey and kind of decomposing. They had mummy unwrapping parties. So, oh no, that's bad on every level. You didn't know about those? No. Oh my god. People Sorry, would I was pay... just thinking now about the uh, business in the front party in the back Victorian morning dress. Yes. That Lens Force world. Ghost keeps trying to throw uh-huh. at Mick to wear. Uh-huh, my favorite one ever. You could take um... some cues on morning, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> in that, in, with this in mind, Victorian uh, mummy unwrapping parties were, when I think of colonialism... This is what I come back to every time for the most, like, I cannot, I, there's, there's some pretty bad colonialist war crimes and just general crimes against humanity that existed. I'm going to have to put this one pretty high up there just because desecration of the dead is such a taboo and knowing the amount of ceremony and involvement that went into mummification and, and the, like it, it, it is, it is like if I went and dug up, someone's grave and started taking out Coffin their boat and opening party. yes it is Incidentally, it is it's funny because the, the gang did go okay i guess we're just gonna go exhuming yeah and like which, wander to the cemetery which was hysterical um call out for the bone stealers but it is very much something where in victorian at victorian parties the wealthy would pay to have mummies brought over from egypt and you would basically unwrap the thing and see what weird shit fell out um because sometimes it would be buried with like scarabs or jewelry and stuff in the in the wrappings so they would just be like hey what fun prizes are in this corpse pinata as a human being this is not a box of cereal Uh, i cannot stress this enough it was really fucking bad. Um, I don't know if the writers knew about this, but it would have been really interesting if they'd had a similar kind of shtick going on with Damien Dark's corpse. But I feel like the problem is, is that would be the sort of thing that having some sort of vivisection at a party might get them like, hey, this is basic cable. Can you tone it the fuck down a little? They but don't I've have seen the two- money to do fake vivisection. That's also true. We're going to have to kill Neil McDonough in real life. And then bring him back in real life. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, Victorian the Victorian obsession with death is, was wild. It was a great time for everybody. Um, except for, you know, um, mummies. Except for, uh, you know, the, like, actual human beings I fucking desecrated. Yeah, I, you know, like, uh, uh, small potatoes. As, as uh, the Victorians would say, oh, let's not discuss it. Yes. So moving to um, 
Oh my goodness. Uh, Rip and Sarah, yeah. Rip Hunter. Can we just I'm start with Rip? I, I'm not ready. I want it. The thing is, I want. I want to talk about that. I want to. I want to not get distracted by other topics. So I want to cover literally everything else before we get there. Oh, okay, then let me talk uh, about Amaya and Zarya now. Yes. Um, I was actually gonna say I love the little scene where Amaya was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Were you praying? I didn't mean to interrupt." And Zarya's like, "I was looking for an earring because it was really cute and like yes. playful in a way that the joke wasn't." Yeah, it was. I'm sorry it's for being one of Muslim. those things. Yeah, where I was always so wary when they're like, "We're gonna have a Muslim superhero," and I was like. I don't trust any of you except Tala. But yeah. then they do stuff like this, and I'm like, oh, okay. And it was we haven't really actually cute. committed a hate crime yet. I say yet because I know this show. But yeah. this was I'm very sweet. Stupid. Also, I mean, what? like, I don't I don't wanna say I don't wanna the fact that their amulets fucking care bear stared at each other creating what I assume is some kind of sapphic convergence. Uh, it was the rainbow of light, stupid. Um, How was, dare you? <laughs> that was You didn't get the reference. No, I didn't. Um, uh, so I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to figure it Is out. Is it You're from on. Rainbow Bright? No! Okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's a lot of fucking rainbows going there's around. Been a lot of, there's been a lot of weird 80s references on the show, so I'm going to add another one. This was like some He-Man and She-Ra shit where like the... The amulets were connected, like their swords were connected and Wait, stuff. Wait, aren't He-Man and She-Ra cousins? Siblings. But I don't mean that in, like, a romantic way. I oh, just mean okay. there was that, there, no, 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 no. I meant, like, there was that same kind of our magical artifacts are hanging out and connecting, and I thought that was really cute. Uh, um, I was also just thinking about, like, how their thing made a beam of light in the center, and then all I could think of is how Korra and Asami walked into the beam of light at the end of Legend of Korra. And that, that all adorable. sapphic activity must, I guess, at some point have a convergence. <laughs> That's rare. That would make a lot of magical girl transformations make a lot of more sense. Oh, um, my God. Everything we, is different now. We, we've cracked a code here. I don't <laughs> know if we were shit. supposed to. And, like, here's the thing about Amaya and Zari is, like, one um, is getting a lot of, like, actual sapphic fans, which is really nice because, um, and I don't want to, like, shade anyone, but a lot of the times when actresses are in, like, on-screen sapphic relationships, they're always like, it's so great to be an ally. But, like, Maisie is actually someone who I think, like, deserves this audience. Yes. And um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, no, I know. Um, and I just, you know, the more that they, like, the closer they get, and when Amaya's like, we're going to be really great friends, all I can think of is Amy... Or in fucking Sailor Moon, just going about fucking Ami. Uranus. Ami, sorry. Well, she was Amy in the... I'm sorry. I, I, watched, the is, it's, it's I wrong. watched the dub when I was five. I'm sorry. That's what's Okay, so did name. I, but I have managed to move on to the, 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 their proper names. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm... Okay, weeb. Okay. okay. Uh, anyway, so when she's looking in the American dub at yeah, Uranus and Neptune, and she goes, yes, they're best friends and cousins, too. Like, that's how I'm going to essentially feel about any time they try to say that Amaya and Zari are just friends. Uh -huh. Yes, and they're cousins, too. Yeah, so we're just going to have to add that in I afterwards. wish someone loved me as much as she loves her cousin. I cannot stress enough. I don't love any of my cousins um, at thing. all. Cousins do not are not supposed to love each other like that. I know. Please. I'm sorry. 
Please don't do that with your cousins. I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> it was such a fucking mess. Um, I just, I mean, like, that is, to, to, to deviate quickly, that is such a half-assed to the point of being sarcastic censorship where I truly love, because they did not change a single word. They did not really, they edited a couple of yes, shots. Yes, you can forget Amaya's boyfriend, Brad. Oh, God. Oh, my um, God, that's just Nate. Leave him alone. I Nate, actually, here's Nate, the other thing. Also is, known as Amaya's boyfriend, Brad. I love, I love Nate with all of my heart. He, I really he, do. But, I, like, and that's the thing. Hold on. Hold on. Yes. Like, I really, I'm going to be honest. I really still truly and honestly like Steel Vixen. We that's have true. seen. Yes. Here's the thing. I don't mean this in a way to say that I don't like Amaya and Zari's relationship. I will say, however, that we have had about a about a half season's worth of development so far for Nate and Amaya's relationship. Because of that, there's more to kind of go on and understand how the two of them fit together. And the reason I'm slightly wary right now is that we have not had a lot of involvement between Amaya and Zari that isn't just them repeatedly assuring that they are connected. I don't, I talked for a little bit last episode yes, yes you did. of the podcast about queer baiting and what can sometimes happen to indicate queer baiting versus queer coding is repeated telling, not showing of great emotional, profound bonds. Yes. And I'm very wary because the only, and they've only really had two episodes worth of interaction. And I'm not saying this in a way where people have to, care about that in the context of shipping them and writing fic about them that's completely fine i'm not this isn't like an oh they've only talked for like 10 minutes you can't ship them i don't mean that what i do mean is we need to look at the kind of dialogue that they've been having versus the kind of interactions they've been having and a lot of their dialogue has leaned very heavily on emphasizing how connected they are how their souls are like they're they're bonded and their 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 destinies are into into one and we're not seeing anything meaningful as a result of that i am not saying do not ship it i am saying it is very much fitting into what yes. a lot of shows use as a form of queer baiting yes and that is something worth being aware of yes. and being careful because we need to hold creators accountable yes i'm not saying this to stop people from yes. shipping it i also really appreciate the ship i don't appreciate a lot of people Number one, I don't appreciate a lot of people saying that because Amaya clearly, uh, you know, has this this thing going on with Zari that she never had feelings for Nate or any other. I mean, shit, her and um, Rex, her other boyfriend, Brad. I mean, really, what's his ass is more of a Brad than yes. Nate. Yes. Oh my God, Rex. Rex Thank Tyler uh, is Rex Tyler is Brad. the Brad because I could not. I, I wasn't think we even said that sure at the same Rex. time. Holy. Yeah. Let's just change his name to Brex. Yeah, his name, his name is Jesus. It sounds okay. like a cereal for people with low fiber. Um, <laughs> Brex! <laughs> okay, God Yes, damn it. you guys Brex. remember Brain my first Jack. boyfriend. Brex! Brex. Um, Brexit killed the EU youth. <laughs> yes, Amaya's first boyfriend, Brexit. <laughs> God damn it, okay. But for real, yeah. it doesn't make Amaya and Zari less valid because Amaya has had romantic or sexual feelings for men. Yes, it doesn't I make her less involved. It doesn't, it doesn't, 
I think sometimes people have this mentality that they have to remove all other obstacles to a ship, especially with queer ships. So they have to be like, this character was gay and everyone else they ever loved at any point in time was a fucking fake. And I don't really appreciate that because as someone who is bisexual, you kind of get to a point where I'm like, it doesn't make them more likely to break up the relationship or, or cheat or do yeah. anything because yeah. they had feelings for other genders at any point in the past. And it's really annoying. And not to say that every Zari and Amaya shipper is doing it, but I want people to keep it in mind when they yes. talk about their relationship Absolutely. and past relationships. And I want people to be aware of what the possible queer baiting here looks like not because i think it should stop you from shipping the ship yes. but i do think it should make you wary of assuming it will be canon i've seen a lot of people talking and falling into this trap again like i've seen people fall into with with other queer baiting ships on the cw and on you other can just networks say super core we all know I actually was thinking Destiel because that's still my go-to after all this time. Um, Destiel, Steric. If you're lost, you can look and you will <laughs> find me. God, yeah, that Destiel is Destiel after time. Yeah, um, so, um, but that is the sort of thing where I want people to be aware that they are probably queer baiting you, so that people don't. I don't want. I want people to go into the ship knowing what is most likely to happen. I'm sorry. I know this sounds very cynical of me. Yes. I've watched enough of these kind of shows. I've studied enough queer theory. I've studied enough television theory. I've read enough and seen enough and watched enough to understand that right now there is nothing about Zari and Amaya's relationship, as we have seen it in the show, that does not throw up red flags about queer baiting. This does not mean that queer women cannot enjoy it, cannot ship it. And, and, and shouldn't be making content or art or art or anything. It means that our responsibility is to recognize it and be like, okay, so if they're soulmates and they have all these great scenes, where are the scenes where they're actually doing things together? Yeah. It means that we take the creators to task and say, show us what you're telling us. Yes, you cannot assume that what we are seeing is an indicator that it will be canon. If you want it to be canon, you need to understand that you need to put pressure on them and tell them yes. that you see that they are doing something. Telling and having sort of baby relationships should not remove pressure on creators. And that's, yeah. and that's the biggest thing. I don't want you to take your boot off Phil Klemmer's sinewy, gross little neck. Jesus, but it is, I mean, I hadn't insulted him once this episode and I was feeling, I was I, feeling weird. I've never thought of his neck as particularly sinewy, but I guess if you're, well, if I mean, like, look at his body. He's all, I, my point is, is, again, I don't want to come off like I'm saying nobody ship this. I want people to continue to ship it. I just want people to be aware of what is happening because I think too many people are treating this like it is something that is revolutionary representation. And it would be if they followed through on it. My fear is that they are not following through on it and that they are not indicating in any way, shape, or form that they plan on following through with it. That's where fans and fan pressure, content creation, and understanding of all the stuff that goes into queer baiting and, um, and network practices and everything comes in. You have to take them to task. You have to know you're not actually being promised anything from this ship other than just empty promises that are going to keep you coming back and coming back and coming back people were watching fucking season six of teen wolf because they were convinced derek still be canon like that's where i don't want people to be at that point with this ship or the show yes so i love the ship a whole lot i think i think people should really love the ship i think they should understand that amaya is bisexual 
um, regardless of any orientation of the actors involved, that Amaya, yes. she has feelings for Zari, still had romantic feelings for Nate and, and Brad. And, and, and Brex. And Brexit. So we have to keep this in mind Classic when we talk Brexit. about the characters in the ship. Um, is it? Um, but I think that's about where we... Is there anything else you want to say as the number one Zari fan? Um, I just think... No, I mean, I think you put it in a really great way, and I think this is a conversation we need to be having, especially with what um, Supergirl just pulled. I think a lot of people are coming here, and, like, I don't want us to sound... Because, like, there was this thing where they cast Grace Choi for Anissa Pierce in Black Lightning, and uh-huh. people who had been burned by Supergirl were saying, oh, you guys should get your hopes up, and they're just going to ruin it. And, like... I kind of think that's a completely, like, you have to take these things, especially nowadays, case by case in certain instances, because Grace and Anissa, yeah, are both canonically, um, Anissa's a lesbian, Grace is bisexual, and I think that's kind of a completely different situation, because we know that going in. Uh huh. They are characters who are, I mean, again, Grace Troy is the first bisexual I ever interacted with in media, fun fact. That's really, really sweet. Yeah. Because um, um, she was with I'm Roy Harper, <laughs> and then she was with Anissa, and then I was like, oh. But she was with Roy, and then my dad, the ultimate bisexual ally, I think just made a comment about her just enjoying sex or something. I don't know. It was, it was inappropriate it was and not at all explaining what bisexuality was. Thanks. Uh, Rachel's dad. Ultimate bisexual ally. Rachel's dad, the ultimate bi ally. <laughs> Oh boy! I don't. You know what? Here's here's the bottom line. Uh, it's really difficult to be a queer woman of any kind in media, and we need to hold people accountable for that at all times, I guess. Because if you move your eyes away from them for even a second, when we lose the crew, in all seriousness, one last brief thing. Yes. Um, we do because you said like we really do have to keep our eyes on the creators and the characters, and we really do have to keep hammering them and it's frustrating and exhausting and i know that that's a lot of effort to ask i i'm not saying everyone has to be doing it all the time but enough of us do it often enough and that is how we see change happen you have to be aware of what's happening to these characters and hold creators accountable so that's that's i think about it do we want to finally talk about the thing oh man the things the things endless and unchanging Oh my goodness. Let's, first of all, I want to talk about Rip Hunter, who in this episode seemed to think he was Sherlock. Like, he really did. He really was like, I'm Sherlock Holmes. The game's afoot. I'm a detective. I'm smart. And I'm like, you are Watson. You will always be Watson. You will never be anything but Watson. Let's get that out of the way. I'm just gonna let you talk because it's like I have a. I want to hear. I I, I want to hear you talk oh. before I say anything. Oh okay. I mean, I just found him so like this episode was so indicative of the person he wants to be versus the person he feels he needs to be. Because I mean, here's the thing, and this is both good and bad. Like some of the good is that we see that Rip is still like. I think he does still really care about this team. I think he misses them like crazy. And I think he still has that adventurer's spirit. But the bad is that Rip has not learned his lesson from season one with Vandal Savage. He still 
likes to chase monsters. He still likes to find a big bad and go after it and say, everything's going to be better once this one thing changes. And holding on to that as a person, like even in real life, is super unhealthy. And the thing about Rip Hunter is he's never really had a chance as a character to be healthy. He's never, like, Vandal Savage kills his wife and son. They kill Vandal Savage, but they do not successfully save his family. He is on season two for one episode in the beginning, and then Spear of Destiny, he vanishes, and then they find him and he's been brainwashed to hurt them, and he never actually really gets a chance to recover from that either. And then he's like, I'm gonna go, I need some time. And we're all like, okay, this makes perfect sense because you've experienced a lot of emotional trauma. And then he's like, just kidding. I shoved all that way, way, way back in the depths of my mind, and I've created the Time Bureau. And also, I have a new number one big bad to go after. And just watching, like, area man, badly injured man, not done partying yet, is just what I feel like when I look at him. I think he needs to take a frickin' break. And he won't allow it because if he doesn't have a monster to fight, I don't think he feels a reason to keep living, honestly. Like, if I know Rip Hunter, I know he wants to fucking die. And that's, I think, the saddest fucking thing of all. Uh, I'm ready for you. Lay it on. Okay. Well, my thing is, um, I do think, I, I, the question of did Rip seek out Malice or did Malice come find him is an interesting one because I, I'm interested in what you ha- the, the idea you put forth of Rip chasing after this one big monster that will fix all of the, is the silver bullet kind of solution. But we don't really know how the fuck Malice happened. We don't, he's just, he just is. This is, this is like the fucking, this isn't like Final Fantasy IX after you beat Kuja and then you just fight like the personification of the darkness of the soul or whatever the fuck. I'm sorry, like, Wait, are, King, are we doing Kingdom Hearts again? Because no, I swear Final to God. No, Final Fantasy, Um, Okay, that's fine. Totally I'm different. sorry, I've only ever really played through 10. You could have gone with Sin and I would I have gotten nine. it. nine! Final Fantasy nine. Did you never play Final Fantasy I've no, nine? I've never played nine. Okay, well I've then... played 10 and some of 14. Okay. For, I, 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 any Final Fantasy after Final Fantasy X2 kind of sucks. But that's just me. That, I, that's I mean, not what we're here for. Yeah, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> Sorry, I was making a joke. I actually do. The, the plot of this season has been very JRPG. And I'm not saying that as like another reference haha joke. But like, seriously, there is a reason I've been referencing like four or five RPGs in this podcast over the past couple episodes because we're seeing a lot of that stuff with Malice. And. This isn't necessarily a criticism, but it's just an observation that right now we don't really know how the fuck Rip found out about Malice. We have no clue why he felt the need to... One of the biggest issues I had with the whole thing in the Time Bureau that Rip revealed this episode is if you kind of seem to have gone into the Time Bureau with the intentions of being a double agent, why wouldn't you fucking tell the team that? What was the point of going into the Time Bureau and then not telling the team that you were going to come back to them and act as a double agent so you could kind of play both sides successfully? So then that way, when you came back, they wouldn't be like, why the fuck should we trust you? You And it's the sort of thing where I... 
just feel like I know I'm going to, I'm going to talk in a couple of minutes about how certain other things about what he did and how he keeps things from the team make sense in light of everything that's happened to him and all his trauma. This one felt a little weird because at the very least he should have told Sarah, maybe not anybody else, but Sarah, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to be a double agent. So when I come back, don't be surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm on your side still. And that felt a little weird in a way that I think they just wrote themselves into a corner and couldn't explain a way out of. Because then when we had that whole thing where apparently Rip created this but isn't kind of in charge of it, but also kind of is because at the end of the episode when he's like, you can't, arrest, like, you, you can't fire me, I own this place. And they were like, no man is above the time law. And I'm like, but he made the time law. Yeah. And like, yes. Technically, I understand that. No man is above the law. I'm a big proponent of this, too. However, what the fuck was the point of creating the Time Bureau at all in the first place? Because your first impulse whenever something happens is to say, this fucking bunch of idiots is useless. Go, I'm going to go back to my other bunch of idiots. Because we had posited earlier on in the podcast, like, episodes, that Rip was kind of using the Bureau as a shield for the team. Which to have super clear. Yeah, to have this buffer between them and Malice, which is good, which I think makes a lot of sense um, knowing that Rip cares about and protects and wants to protect this team. But um, the whole the whole the hierarchy of the Time Bureau doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't know why, since they seem to be playing it like Rip is a double agent or wanted to be a double agent. I have no idea why he wouldn't tell Sarah that. That's the one question I do have about his actions and motivations right now. Everything else, I think. The issue here is my problem is not with his behavior. My problem yes. is how a lot of people are misinterpreting and misunderstanding yes. behavior. Because the thing about Rip to start is that this is someone who watched his wife and young child get shot in the fucking face in front of him. And he has not at any point been allowed, as you pointed out, he has not had a moment to breathe and process his trauma. We saw him... Two seasons ago, completely ready and okay to commit suicide until Gideon told him not to. And if Gideon hadn't been on the ship and the Wave Rider had just been a ship, he probably would have straight up killed himself. And then after that, he just got, the next time we saw him, he lost his memory and then ended up brainwashed. And then after being brainwashed, had an episode of being unbrainwashed before he got kicked into Doomworld. And then after Doomworld, he fucked off. And then now we're here. So Rip has never had a moment to stop and breathe. So Rip is still very clearly suffering. Um, with that in mind, I think it is very important to evaluate his reasons for what he did this episode versus Sarah's motivations, because both of them are relatively in character. I don't think Rip did something bad. I think he made a very dumb choice. Yes. My point of view, I can understand because I his emotional state right now is every time I have tried to handle things with someone else, they die. Like, I don't think I remember you said something to the effect of Rip doesn't trust anyone other than himself. And I, I completely disagree with that. I think okay. it is the exact opposite. I think Rip doesn't trust himself in the least. Rip has absolutely zero trust in his ability That's to do so smart. And, with that in mind, it's why he has to put everyone else on lockdown because he's like, I might not come out of this alive and I'm okay with that because I don't care about what happens to me, but I need to know that the people I care about are going to be safe. 
I don't think he goes into these things, like the, these situations, because he thinks it makes him look cool or because he wants to be the low ranger. I think he goes into these situations, especially now at this point in his development. He might have done it before. Like, you know, we get some Im- implications back when we were with Jonah Hex that Rip was that kind of person who did, who yes. did these because he liked to be a bit of a cowboy. But at this point now, after everything has happened to him, it's become a form of suicidal ideation. And he is very Holy clearly... Holy shit, that's the smartest thing. Oh my god. Because he's ready to die. And he's kind of hoping it'll stick. All but... right. Can I, can I make a point, actually? Okay. Based on what you're saying? Okay. When you're depressed, one of the things you do is you sabotage yourself. Oh, yeah. You see a clear path to success, and you say, okay... Here's where I'm going to put the wrench. Yeah, you don't. And like, it's not, it's not your fault. It's depression. But that's exactly what happens. Yeah, your brain is basically telling you. But if you did that, a good thing might happen to you. And you don't deserve something, do you? So with planning to kill Dark, he he thought, I'm going to kill Dark on my own. And I'm going to talk to Malice. And it's going to be great. And then also... But I'll have killed Dark, and I will have stopped Malice, so then the team will be fine. And if that doesn't happen and they all hate me, eh. As long as I fix the problem, I don't care if they hate me because I hate me. But, you know, it's one of those things where he's like, oh, I could get in a lot of trouble for this. They might get really mad at me. And then he's like, I'm a piece of shit anyway. Fuck it. There's very a lot of Rip's behavior in this episode. Because let's talk about what he did with the Rave Rider. This wasn't like when he was brainwashed and he had Gideon, like, actively trying to kamikaze the ship like this was just putting the ship on like siege mode this was um this was the wave rider evolving into a metapod this was gideon asking him if he was sure and i was like you still love him love him so much it's so unfortunate all i can think of is gideon is that scene in jenna's looking at herself in the mirror and she's like you love him yeah stupid bitch yeah, but I do think it is something where Gideon is aware and she knows the team well enough now that making this decision will make them all hate Rip. And I think she's trying to be, because she was before, yeah. she's trying to be that person that's cutting between him and the depression and saying, hey, you want to not make the most self-destructive choice humanly possible? And Rip's like, nope. Hey, and- hey, it's me. It's me, the good, it's me, your, uh, your super ego. And I just wanted to maybe check in on you you're about to do something really depressive and terrible. Do you maybe not want to? But it is the sort of thing where I think it's very interesting also because um, there is a point where Rip is just making these very self-destructive choices, but he is doing them specifically to protect the team. He is not, and he does not at any point put the team in harm's way during this episode. He does everything. Human, he again. This is not the wave rider self-destructing. This is not the wave rider crashing into the ocean. This is Rip making the ship as safe as fucking possible, so that nothing bad could happen to the team. So that if oh something happens, oh, you make so that me so way, angry. If, if let Malice go with whatever. If he un, if he un can opener the sealed evil in a can, Malice if wouldn't. If the be moon laser the somehow fractured. Yeah, like, Are we going to talk about the fact that he was revived by Moon Laser? I don't want to talk about it, please. Oh, okay. God. I don't ever want to talk about it. It was so dumb. But, like, in a fun, again, in a fun, cheesy, campy way. Not, like, bad dumb. But I'm just like, God damn it, guys. This is so extra. Um, with that in mind, though, like, everything Rick did this episode is very much the behavior of someone who is just 
violently mentally ill and not like like aggressive and unstable just just incredibly thoroughly suffering from untreated and possibly unacknowledged mental illness he is so desperate to keep this team safe but he does not extend the same courtesy to himself with that said the team doesn't see it that way that's why they're mad because they think oh he wanted to hog all the glory for himself he was making stupid decisions because he didn't trust us he doesn't think we're smart enough or good enough to handle this because they're so used to people kind of calling this team and also justifiably stupid so he they think oh because now he's with the time bureau he thinks he's too good for us and like he thinks we're dumb but we're not dumb not like everybody says we're smart Um, and we want if nick zano does not do that word for word this season what is the fucking point i honest to god um please that is the most nate actually can i can i make a point sure in comparing rip to mick because mick is another character that we have always said like hey needs help big sign but I almost think that Mick is more visibly needs help, big sign, especially well, because, because he's Mick, been there the whole time, whereas Rip keeps darting off. Or if he is, thinks he's Rip's being too mentally ill, like yeah. locks himself in a broom closet until he's presentable again. Whereas I think Mick doesn't mind letting people see him that way because he's like, what the fuck are they going to do? I think for me, I viewed it a little differently where yes. Rip's Rip's mental illness manifests in avoidance. There is, when a cat is hurt or sick, they will do everything in their power to avoid you. You have to go find them and you have to make sure that they're, um, you know, that they don't need vet treatment. Um, Rip is very much an avoidance kind of mental illness where he sees that he is not doing well and says, it's time for me to cut off contact with as many people I care about as humanly possible so I don't bother them with what a piece of shit I've become. Mick is, I think, because he's aware that he is threatening, that he is in, like that he is someone that people would be intimidated by, he understands that his mental illness makes him frightening to other people and he has, because of his line of work, utilized that before. So I think he's more comfortable with visibly and openly displaying signs of mental illness because his mentality is, what are you going to do about it if I am crazy? Are you going to try to stop me? Are you going to try to fight me? Because you're going to lose. And he is more willing to kind of project an air of intimidation. Like, oh, worry, you know, be scared of the scary, crazy pyro guy because he's all big and covered in scars and stuff. And like, that's a very different way of handling your mental illness. But Rips is so very clearly avoidance and shutting other people out and doing it in his head for, for their good, because not only is he someone who doesn't deserve to be around these people, he also isn't good enough to survive. So he would rather that he take all of these problems on alone and almost die or just die. And that everyone else on this team would be safe because he loves them. And so he doesn't want to be near them. They, they're like, you know, Rip is like, oh, I'm handling it. I've got, I'm doing, I'm doing a thousand other things right now. So I'm not depressed. I haven't left because I'm depressed. I've left because I'm chasing after uh, skeletons. Are you trying to do, are you trying to do an accent? I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just having fun with this because this okay, is a really. Yeah, no, it is. It was this, good. I, this is violently depressing. So I, I'm like, okay, yeah. let's, let's, let's get some fucking levity in here. But it is the sort of thing where Rip is trying to avoid the team because he's depressed. Rip puts the team on lockdown, not because he thinks they're stupid, not because he doesn't care about them. The exact opposite. He loves them. He trusts them. He doesn't trust himself. He's ready to fucking die. And he would be 
completely fine with dying if he could guarantee the team's safety. That is why he is doing literally everything that he did this episode, this season, last season, frankly, most of the season before that, too. He really does care. So we are not getting, I think a lot of times American viewers can be a little off-put by characters who are emotionally repressed, because generally speaking, most of us are very, like, when we watch television, we watch a lot of characters who telegraph loudly what they're feeling all the time. And Rip isn't really like that. It's 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 like with where people are like, oh, Shinji Ikari was such a piece of shit because he like just sat around and cried all the time. I'm like, because he was depressed. Who that the was hell the is Shinji point. Ikari? Neon Genesis even fucking You know Delia. I've never actually seen it. I only know I the opening song. I the characters. Jesus Christ almighty. No, oh I know there's the red-haired God. girl, and there's the that's girl that's his mom, and there's that's... the blue-haired girl. Okay, sure. Yes, okay, yes, that's that's it. That's everybody. That's the whole, that's, that's, that's the whole Evangelion. <laughs> We've done it. <laughs> We've done um, it. Can I actually also take just a branch, because... There are some characters like, oh, I don't know, Arrow's Oliver Queen, where people try to be like, oh, um... Oh, right. These people. He's like, he's mentally, like, there's a difference between... And I wanna, I wanna sort of express that I think there's a difference between us, who are people who have worked with our own illnesses, illnesses, and have been, I think, open about them, um, sort of discussing these parts of Rip's character and not excusing them and not saying everyone else should kowtow to him because of this and saying yeah. these are things he needs to work on versus also just making up any disorder you can to excuse abusive behavior. Yeah. I mean, here is the thing is I'm not saying that everybody should fall on their sword in shame for what like Rip's behavior um, like, oh, we treated him so badly and we didn't know. I, I, I want to say, I'm not saying that everyone should forgive him, but I am saying that at some point they should understand why he did what he did. Yes. Um, and the perspective it was coming from. Because as I said, I think he made a lot of stupid decisions in this episode. Characters like Oliver, they are hurting people in a way that makes them, like, traumatized. Like, they are, they are, they are making these people undergo suffering that is just beyond the pale. But Rip has not done something that has crossed a line in a way that I would view as completely unforgivable personally. Because again, only thing he did this episode was lock the entire team down and the ship for safety and a bunch of red shirts, but red shirts don't really like, that's the thing is that's that sort of thing where I'm like, I know that in real life, like with real people, well, that would be. And that's horrible. the thing is Sarah was kind of shocked that he was like, those were just red shirts. Cause she's like, that's not you. It's not, but it's, also something where we do see briefly that when Rip and Jack, when Sarah and Jax are in Rip's mind and Jax is like, oh, these are the worst. He's just remembering the worst parts of being a time master. We, I wish we could see more about, because it does seem to imply the time masters are pretty authoritarian and Rip doesn't know how to function despite being, I would argue the most loose cannon character on a show that is just essentially entire precinct full of loose cannon. I was literally about to say uh, that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, with that in mind, he is the most loose cannon, but he doesn't know how to be a loose cannon without an authoritarian structure. So he recreates an authoritarian structure through the time bureau and then does not. And I do think it's important that he didn't put himself in charge because I think rip, 
doesn't want to and cannot be in charge of an, an authoritarian organization, but he has been pretty thoroughly influenced by that kind of mindset, whether he wants to admit it to himself or not. So he can turn off these parts of his brain because he's had training to do so. He's been raised by the Time Masters for a long time. He's good at that. But Sarah doesn't know that part of him. Sarah only knows the part of him that was a dashing swashbuckling pirate who stole a time ship and ran away from the time masters. So she thinks he's like that all the time. And he is to an extent, but there's always that switch that can happen in these sort of situations where Rip then goes back to being um, someone who has lived with an authoritarian um, community and mindset surrounding them for almost their entire life. So, I also can sense some resentment there where she's like, if this is a part of you, like, you know all this shit about me because you kind of brought it out of me and, like, helped me through it. I don't and think then, he does. You like, don't I don't think, think he does? Because like, I almost feel like I she don't... feels like, you know, my dark, dirty shit and, like, you won't share yours with me and, like, how the, like, how dare you? I, I think with Sarah, it's more that Sarah thinks that everyone can see everything that's happened to her. She thinks she's a lot more emotionally open than she actually is. Yes. Because when she says, I got resurrected and it, you know, it didn't really exactly work out for me. Yeah. He looks at her for a second and there is this beat, like a long enough beat where I'm like, we're supposed to kind of be looking and watching his thought process here where he is like, I don't think that about you because he's established before way back when that he does not think of her as a monster, that he doesn't think of, post-resurrection Sarah is a bad person. So I don't really think he knows enough about pre-resurrection Sarah to kind of make a comparison, nor does he really care. I think he's kind of like, this is who you are now, and I chose you, and I would do it again. And I don't think he knows about as much about her as she thinks he does, um, for a myriad of reasons. But the interesting thing, to go from Sarah, we've, we've kind of, we've talked about Rip a lot, yeah. um, but Sarah's motivations to me this episode were fascinating because very often we don't get to see female characters acting like shitheads. We don't really get to see yeah. female characters who we sympathize with and like being assholes. They're yeah. either wonderful pe people who never do a thing wrong in their lives or they're irredeemable shrieking harpies who are evil all the time forever. There's really, you're either a Aurora or Maleficent kind of thing. Yeah. And Sarah defies that mold, whether some of her fans want to admit it or not, very often. Yes. Sarah is a fascinating character. The interesting yes. thing to me this episode was Rip's motivations were understandable, if really stupid. Um, or his actions were stupid, but his motivations were understandable and kind of pitiable. Sarah's motivations were entirely petty and spiteful and, and just, just nasty. Like, she was like, I'm going to tattle on him so we'll get in trouble because that'll show him for pissing me off. Like, it just, it, she just did it to be petty. And I love that. Not because I think it was a good thing. It, I, I was, you know, you get mad when you see a character you like being petty to another character you like, but I do love that the show was willing to write her as someone who is can be petty and can do this sort of stuff. And interestingly, of all people, the person who seems to be the most, I really had expected better from you people about it, is Ava. Because yeah. when Ava shows up, 
Uh, Ava says something to the effect when Sarah's like, so this will keep you guys off our tail, right? And Ava goes, we wouldn't bother with idiots like you. And Ava's like, were, what are you talking about? She's like genuinely, I think, mad because they did seem to come to a kind of... Ava thought of Sarah as a sort of worthy opponent after yes. their whole fight um, back during the Billy Zane episode um, where she was like, you're an idiot, but you're an idiot I can respect. And now she's like, I have lost all respect for you because you're willing to sell out your captain. I'm selling um, out to you. What the hell, Ava? But it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. Ava's the kind of person where we um, have seen it, I, she is kind yeah. of like no honor among thieves and kind of mad at Sarah. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting Can because, I make a point hold about on, female characters? You hold go on, first. hold on, because yeah, you were cutting out, fine, hear you. So I actually want to even go out on a limb and say that like, I love vindictive female characters and people, like, because once I made, you know, when Sky was, like, Sky, and, like, I sort of stopped watching after season two, so I still call her that, because, like, that's who she was in season one and two, so, like, whatever. Fucking bill me. Um, I made a gift set of her personality, and I called one of her personality traits vindictive. And people who were not me, or in my circle, were, <laughs> oh my god, I'm such a bitch, were like really mad about the use of the word vindictive. And like the thing is is the I thing, don't fuck oh. like I don't know what you expect fucking female characters to be. Like I'm allowed to love them and love them because and in spite of their flaws like both. Like Nissa Al Ghul is a really vindictive petty character and I think it's one of the most brilliant parts of her. Like, when Sarah was like, no, I, I don't want to go back to the League of Assassins. And this is like, I guess I'll kidnap your mom. Should have killed her, by the way. Oh, uh, well, I also love that because it's such a not great trait yeah. for an assassin to have. This yeah. is very much, you know, David Zanato says you don't hold grudges and Nyssa holds grudges. When it comes to Sarah, it does feel justified. It is not Sarah punching down necessarily. It's Sarah making a bad decision. So that's the sort of thing yeah. where I I appreciate that not only is it pettiness in a way that we don't often see from female characters, it's a pettiness that isn't overtly negative in a larger context. It's a character flaw, but it is not cruelty visited on another character in a way that feels malicious on both the writer's part and the character's part. Just, because as much as it was Sarah human. being petty... Yeah, as much as it was Sarah being petty, I can't say that from her perspective, not from the audience perspective, but from her perspective, that she didn't have a reason to think, well, Rip deserves it and fuck him. Do I think that it's fair? No, I just spent like 20 minutes saying how yeah. I personally don't find it fair. But from Sarah's perspective, it was not a decision that makes you think this is someone punching down and hurting someone mm -hmm. who's vulnerable in a way that just feels beyond the pale. Yes. In this case, I'm like, okay, no, this is fair. This also puts them in a way on equal ground that I really appreciate in the long run because the thing about Rip and Sarah's relationship for a while has been that Rip has had a lot of things to apologize for and Sarah really hasn't. So it kind of put them on a very unequal playing field in terms yes. of uh, power dynamics. This is not to make him more moral. I don't, yeah. but this is the sort of thing where he is sort of putting them in a box and he's going to come get them out of the box later for sure. But I don't always think that can be moral. I think sometimes yeah. that can be a little dismissive of other people's feelings or desires. My favorite part of Riff getting arrested is when Gideon 
uh, starts yelling, good, I hope he dies. Yes. I, Anything else you want to add? Yes. I just want to make the point that Sarah, by putting Rip in prison, is actually protecting him from Mallet. Because if um, she said no and then didn't lock Rip up, he would have been like, well, fine, I'll go after Mollusk myself. And I don't think that's the reason why she did it, but I could absolutely yeah. see her being like later, like, I did it to protect you. And Rip was like, no, you didn't. And she's like, I can put you back. I did it to protect you. But, uh, yeah, no, you I'm can very go right interested. back to gay baby jail where you belong. I, I am very interested to see um, Ava's continued reaction to Sarah now that for whatever reason she's really mad at her, which is, again, really funny to me. Um, I want to pretend like the crossover is not happening, and I think that's really yeah, all Yeah, I next have. week is the Hollywood episode, which I'm excited for. It's also the body swap episode. Nice. Um... Then it's the Vietnam episode, and then there's a black hole, and then I think they get one more episode, and then it's the mid-season finale. We're free. I are, are we gonna are we? Let's let's literally let's just pose this question: Are we going to watch the crossover? Because they said it's going to be super Oliver Queen focused, and I'm honestly kind of like, I get it. It's about Nazis. Get it? Because Oliver Queen is fucking deplorable, but. I just don't know if I can do it. I I don't think I'm going to watch every single episode. I'm going to I'm going to watch the Legends episode of it probably. Well, cuz that's the last one. Yeah. Oh, and that so means I have be to enough. watch the double wedding though. I don't I you 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 it, I no. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy our, our review of the crossover which no, is just No, cuz I will I here's the thing is if you make me watch the double wedding what's going to happen is I'm going to talk about um, unrelated things. For, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna kill myself. I'm just gonna. I'm just We're gonna just have to gonna go back to. We're just gonna do what fucking they did during the sex scenes in the room. Oh crap! Where they keep coming in and having like little fucking subplots and, yes, and like I, talking over it. Yeah, I would just have to pretend like it's not happening because I love Felicity and Looking I don't at like Oliver this. Queen is my sex scene in the room. Yeah, every I don't want that. time. Every time. <laughs> I don't want That's these. Who he is. But yeah, no, we're we're probably gonna watch the Legends episode of the crossover. Look up what else happened in the crossover so we can complain about it. But watching, making me watch Supergirl or Arrow, and honestly, at this point, the Flash sometimes it's violence. It so is I'm violence. Not, uh, it is violence. So we will comment on that appropriately. I am excited for the Hollywood episode. This was a good episode. We just had a lot to talk about in terms of character motivation. Um, I hope maybe we have helped some people who might not have been as invested in Rip's character possibly become more invested. Um, and I hope that or you maybe understand. or maybe you just fucking hate us. I don't care. I don't. Know. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> if but, you hate us so much, make your own goddamn podcast. But uh, it's I hope everybody had fun this world. episode. Is it? Anyway, well, um, we're doing it, aren't we? I hope you had fun this episode, guys. Uh, yeah. See you next week. Okay, I love you. Stay in school. Bye. Bye.